This talk was given by Patrick Yunin Kelly at the Zen Center of New York City. Yunin is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning. So I'm going to start with a uh, short prayer. Perhaps you'll recognize it. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Beata tu in mulieribus, e beatus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So good morning. Uh, <laughs> my name is Yunin, um, and, and welcome to those of you who are here the first time to the temple. Uh, welcome to spring. So obviously this is not a Buddhist uh, prayer. Um, but I wanted to... to to, it's a little bit of an experiment, um, but I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, devotion and faith in Buddhist practice, and uh, I, I, I found it helpful sometimes to, to try and get at it from the perspective of other, uh, other traditions or other perspectives. It's both confusing and clarifying at the same time. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to offer you something that's productively confusing and productively clarifying. And I realize that people have all sorts of different backgrounds, so whatever resonates with you, please take that up, and whatever doesn't speak to you, feel free to let that go. So just last week, here we started our uh, 90-day intensive training period, which we call ANGO, which means literally peaceful dwelling. And as each ango often has some sort of theme or, or sutra text that we're studying. In this ango, we're studying, um, well, the theme is faith in Buddha nature. And one of the texts that we're studying is the, uh, the Lotus Sutra, the, the Sadharma Pundarika Sutra, the uh, Wondrous Dharma Lotus Flower Sutra which is a, it's a pretty long sutra, and it's got a lot of different themes. Um, but really prominent are the teachings on faith and devotional practice, skillful means, too. Uh, one of the best-known uh, passages in this uh, sutra is, is there's a chapter on Avalokitesvara, who is uh, what we call the bodhisattva, or a bodhisattva of compassion, uh, a being who strives for enlightenment and whose sort of primary quality is is the cultivation of compassion. Uh, Avalokitesvara is known as uh, guanyin in uh, Chinese or kanon in uh, Japanese. And it's interesting, in, in India, Avalokitesvara was male, but when Avalokitesvara moved to East Asia, 
he became a she. Um, and, and she's been referred to as the, uh, the Mary of the East. Although I guess you could uh, turn things around and say Mary is the Guanyin of the West. But I wanted to use this to and, and this this prayer to, to sort of look at the role of faith and devotion and Zen practice. You know, what is it? What? How do we understand that? Th- there was another text that we're also focusing on the Ango called the um, the Tathagatagarbha Sutra, which is sometimes translated as the uh, the Buddha Nature Sutra, but literally means uh, uh, Tathagatagarbha means uh, womb of the Tathagata. Uh, and Tathagata is the Buddha, womb of the thus come one. And so I was feeling that that was really resonating with the uh, the, um, the Hail Mary, the Ave Maria as well. Um, but I, unfortunately, I got carried away with the first one, so I'll just leave that hanging for you to, to make whatever connections you like. Um, so uh, I should say I'm not Catholic. I'm not. I'm not Christian, and I wasn't raised Catholic or Christian. But you know, I feel this happens like every couple talks. Something from Christian liturgy or the Bible really resonates for me, and I end up talking about it, and then giving these caveats that I'm that I'm not a Christian. You know, I don't believe in God, but I do. Uh, I, I love this prayer, and I always have. Um, and I really, I've always really related to it. <laughs> I was thinking, I don't even know that, you know, on the very deepest fundamental level, it doesn't seem totally important to me to say that I'm a Buddhist either, uh, for that matter. Um, the most important thing, I guess, is, uh, well, <laughs> I can't say it, but, but I think, I think it would be something like liberation of beings, um, and whether that's, Buddhist, Christian, secular, whatever, is not the fundamental thing. Although we also practice within a tradition with forms, you know. So that, that's important, too, and we, we maintain that flexibly, hopefully. So I just wanted to say that I'm not, I'm not speaking with any authority. So if, if you are Catholic or Christian, um, uh, I hope I, I hope I treat it with respect, and I, I mean to. And, and I, I feel that this, this prayer, the, the Hail Mary, it, it, it makes, it helps me to make something visible, um, about devotional practice. It's been difficult for me to access through the, some of the, the more Buddhist forms. I think it's there. Maybe it's just, cultural osmosis, you know, I, I, I sort of just, although I wasn't raised Christian, I sort of picked up some of these forms, I, something like that, but it's been helpful for me. So, but Buddhism in general, and, and especially Zen Buddhism, you know, it's not, it's often seen as a practice in which there's not a lot of role for faith. You know, Hojin was speaking this morning. She spoke about liturgy and stuff, and I thought, well, I don't have anything more to say, uh, so I'll just uh, you know, add a few footnotes to that. But um, one thing she mentioned, she said that this is not a, Buddhism is non-theistic. So the, we say the Buddha is not a god. The Buddha is a human being, like you or me, 
who had questions and investigated them and then offered what he had seen to other people. But so, so you often see Zen in particular, uh, you know, described as, as uh, you know, a, a practice that emphasizes uh, skepticism and inquiry, which it does. Or a, a science of the mind is something that you hear, which feels appropriate, too. Um, or, or even a practice that, that really emphasizes um, iconoclasm, you know, tearing down all the idols, doing away with this sort of stuff, which I think is not so much the case anymore, but, but a few decades ago that was really emphasized, and that seemed to resonate with people. And, you know, there, there is something to all of these, these perspectives. Uh, we're given a practice, but it's up to us to do it. No one can do it for us. We have to do the practice. Traditionally, as I understand, in, in, in some places in, in Japan or China, you would, you would not even be given beginning instruction. You would be pointed to your uh, zabutan and, and told to sit zazen. And what the hell does that mean? <laughs> and you would find out by doing it, as, as Hojin said with the liturgy this morning, it's a, it's a body practice, and you find out by putting yourself into it and, and doing that. And it's not, you know, it, it doesn't really happen often, right away. You have to, to sort of let yourself into it. And so, you know, we say stuff sometimes, like, uh, no one is coming to save you, or seven times knock down, eight times get up, or if you see the Buddha, kill the Buddha. The, the teachings are meant to free you, not to bind you to any form, but also not to bind you to no form, which is the danger of, as I see it, of, of uh, sort of too much iconoclasm. When I, when I began practice, I was really attached, uh, well, I was going to say attracted, but I guess attached too, um, to, to this sort of um, uh, view of practice. I, I have a, a scientific educational background, um, so that, that part really spoke to me. And I, I, I didn't really care for the liturgy. I was listening, Shoan, uh, who's one of the monastics, recently gave a talk, and she was speaking about how when she first came to the practice, she immediately felt at home in the liturgy and felt, yes, this is just, this feels so right in some way. And then she said, I, I realize that, that not all of you feel that way. And I felt, yeah, <laughs> I'm one of those who, I don't feel that way anymore, but I, that was my reaction at first. Um, you know, I, it resonated very strongly with me, but and not not what I would have characterized as a positive resonance. Um, you know, sometimes I, I would sit there and look around and, and think, you know, who are these people? What are people chanting? What is this? Do I belong here? Is this even for me? Is this some kind of cult? But, uh, you know, I think I, I, I really did resonate with Zazen and some of the, the, the teachings, especially from, from Dogen, the, the, the very small part that I felt that was comprehensible to me. 
really did resonate with me. And so I guess, and, and uh, just the, the, the presence of the teachers and some of the people who had been around for a while, I, I felt like this is something I can trust. Um, just barely sometimes, but I felt I could trust it. And even that kind of resistance, that strong, you know, you may feel a strong draw or attraction towards certain things or a strong resistance towards other aspects of the practice. Both are very, very, can be very useful, can be very helpful. It's just a matter of, of uh, finding a way to work with them, I think. I, I remember a story uh, Shugen uh, Roshi tells. He was, a long time ago, maybe in the late 80s or early 90s, he went with Daido Roshi um, to a, a service at the Riverside Cathedral with, with the Dalai Lama. And I remember him saying how they, they were part of the, the entrance, the, the sort of procession, like what we do here, into the, uh, the cathedral. And he turned around, and you know, the Dalai Lama, people were just totally wowed by, by him. And uh, he turned around, he saw the look in people's eyes, and he, he's like, this is kind of frightening, the, the amount of uh, um, readiness to just give your power away that people seem to have. And he said that to Dido, and Dido said, yes, it can be, but it can also be very powerful if it's used skillfully by someone who's coming from a good place. So, so but even early on, I was aware that there were these other this other side of Buddhism, which was seemed, you know, parts of it seemed very uh, rational, empirical, scientific, and parts of it seemed pretty out there. Um, you know, there's the teachings on rebirth, uh, the elaborate uh, cosmologies of heavens and hells, the, the miracles, the prostrations and images and supernatural powers. You know, I was, all of that made me uncomfortable. I was thinking uh, once when I was uh, in, in high school, and uh, uh, I had the kind of high school experience where uh, I did a, 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 a decent amount of uh, LSD, and I was uh, I, this was in Arizona, and I was out with a friend of mine in the in the desert who was. Kind of a troubled guy, but but also had some sort of. Uh, he kind of saw himself as a as a bit of a shaman, I think, in some ways, and we were had taken a bunch of I don't even know what. Um, but we were we were sitting there, and he was telling me about how he could control you know the elements and the weather, and I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and he said, watch, you know. And then uh, in the Arizona desert, it started raining, and I was like. Uh, okay. I, you know, maybe it was just coincidence. Maybe not. I don't know. But it felt like weird kind of power trip cult leader stuff. So I had a I had a bad experience with some of this stuff. Um, another time, I remember uh, uh, I was here. This was a, a while ago. Um. And I was up in the kitchen, and, and Hojin Sensei was there, and a bunch of people. We were just talking, and 
we got to talking about some, people were talking about some of this, uh, you know, this mystical stuff. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is such hooey, you know, I don't believe in this. But I wasn't saying anything. And the conversation was breaking up, and I remember someone said, well, I'm, uh, I'm going to go out to the store. Does anyone need anything? And someone said, yeah, yeah, I need some half and half. Um, and people were kind of talking and lingering. And then someone unannounced, some other student from outside, uh, come up this, can't, comes up the stairs and says, oh, I was just in the neighborhood, and I just thought you guys might want some half and half. So I was like, uh, I remember, I don't know if you remember, Hojin turned to me and she said, that's how it works. <laughs> And it, it also, uh, recently I was, um, I got to talking with some, some Sangha people about, um, and I was remembering uh, September 11th here in the city. And, and I was around the temple. Um, I wasn't around, at the temple when it happened. But I, I remember as at work, and I remember going outside and seeing these uh, buildings on fire. And I, I didn't know, you know, what, what was this? I mean, this was not something that was supposed to happen in my, my idea of reality. Um, and I, I don't know where it came from, but I, I felt this, I, I, I trusted it. I, I just started circumambulating the block and chanting the, uh, the M.A. Juku Kanan Gyo, which we chanted this morning. This, uh, th- this chant, it's, it's, it's also known as the, uh, the life-extending ten-line Kanon Sutra. Kanon, as I said, is Avalokitesvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion. You know, we, this is a, a, a chant that we use, um, well, we, we chanted it this morning. We also use it in, in memorial services or funeral services when, when someone has, has died, you know. Now and at the hour of our death, the, uh, the Bodhisattva of compassion. And it was like, I, I didn't know what to do, like, like everyone <laughs> in the city at that time when this happened. But I, I trusted that there was a way of, of, without being able to articulate it, there was a way of using my mind, a way of, of transforming this awful experience that I was at the edge of my understanding of what the world was supposed to be. But it was just the edge. That didn't mean that that's all there was. There was some other, there was something else. And I, I, I somehow trusted that, that this devotional practice, I guess, of invoking the, uh, the, the mind, the heart of Kanan Bodhisattva was the right, right way to respond. You know, there are situations we come into where there's nothing more practical that we can do for ourselves or for someone else. And uh, for me, liturgy is a... Is a it is a way of, of responding in that situation. Zazen, too. The, uh, there is a, a, a translation of that sutra, which we do for the work service. Um, it's Kanzayan, uh, at one with the Buddha, related to all Buddhas in cause and effect, and to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, joyful, pure, eternal being. Morning mind is Kanzayan. Evening mind is Kanzeon. This very moment arises from mind. This very moment is not separate from mind. 
Hakuin, who is the, uh, the 18th century um, Rinzai master who really reinvigorated Rinzai practice in Japan, was a big, uh, I don't know what to say, advocate of, of this sutra. I, I found a, a letter he wrote to a high government official. He said, uh, speaking of the, the, the Kanon Sutra, this work has been associated with wondrous miracles that have taken place in both China and Japan. Because it is so brief, I sincerely hope that you, not to speak of your close retainers and the common people as well, will recite it two or three hundred times each day. If it is recited with sincerity, awe-inspiring miracles will without fail be accomplished. I mean, Hakuin doesn't have a reputation for this kind of stuff, really. He's like, you know, a Zen master, Zen master. Um, he, he once said, speaking of devotional practices like Pure Land, he once said, adding Zen to Pure Land practice is like raising a sail on the back of a cow. In other words, ridiculous and not very effective. But he, he taught this at the same time, so what's that about? You know, in the Lotus Sutra, it also speaks about skillful means, presenting teachings that are appropriate to the, the person who needs to hear them. Is that what this is? Or is it, does it really accomplish countless miracles? You know, I thought that I would... Um, uh, I decided to, to, to try it for myself and chant it a few hundred times and see what would happen. So I did. And I don't want to ruin it by telling you if I saw any miracles or not. But uh, it's a good practice, you know. For skillful means, you know, I, I was thinking there, there was a, a teacher, I think it was Bunke, who used to say, uh, his whole teaching was... Uh, uh, just see your nature and be free from life and death. Pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, I think it's true, but it, it's kind of hard to work with that. It's like, can't you give me something else to chew on? I remember when I first started doing liturgy at, at the, the San Francisco Zen Center, um, this is before I practiced here. Uh, one of the, the, the practice leaders gave the instruction, just when you do the prostrations or the chanting, think of it as a, as a concentration practice, as a samadhi practice. The sensation of your body touching the floor, the, 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 the shape or the feel of the sounds. You don't need to worry about the meaning so much. And Daito used to say that with some of the, uh, the Dharanis as well, the... Uh, the chants that were not that are not translated, you would say they, they don't have any meaning. They're um, it's just these trans, a, a Japanese uh, a Chinese translate Jap- sorry a Japanese transliteration of a Chinese transliteration of Sanskrit sounds, um, and but I was you know I was reading this book by um, which I'm, I know some of other others of you are reading by uh, by Zenju uh, Manuel who's a teacher at the San Francisco lineage who's been really sort of pointing at the uh, the aspect of some of these elements of Zen practice that are uh, uh, as she puts it uh, indigenous or shamanic uh, they, they go further back 
And she, she brings a, a translation of, of, of one of the Dharanis. Uh, the Daishin Dharani is one of the Dharanis that we chant. Those of you who have done a session at the monastery know the Daishin Dharani. Uh, but it's, you know, it's out there. I mean, this is just part of it is Brunect uh, One. You bring joy to those who wish to see clearly. Svaha. You succeed. Svaha. You greatly succeed. Svaha. You have mastered the practice. Svaha. Brunect One. Svaha. Boar-faced One. Lion-faced one, svaha. So that's what you're chanting when you're part of it. A svaha is something like, I guess, amen. You know, it's a spell, really. Was this just a upaya as, as, as practice spread to these to ancient India and China? Or is the fact that, that this is, um, these elements are, are retained, is there something else to it? Perhaps. You know, there, as I said, there, there are particular forms that we use in this practice. We have a, a Buddha on the altar in Manjushri and Samantabhadra. And we don't just put any image on it. We put a Buddha image. You know, the form is important. But, but also, you shouldn't get attached to the form. There's a story, uh, Soen Nakagawa, who is one of Daido Roshi's first teachers, there's a story about people would come into face-to-face teaching, and so if you haven't done that, you go in to see the teacher, and you do a prostration, and it's all very formalized, and then you sit down. So it's happening from within a ceremony, a liturgy. But at one point, he decided to put up a soji screen. He hid behind it, and he put a pumpkin on the teacher's seat. So the people would go in there, and they would do a prostration to the pumpkin. (laughs) And he would be sort of behind the screen watching them and kind of giggling, I guess. <laughs> what do you make of that? I mean, but, but people get attached to forms in religious practice all the time. People kill each other over forms. You know, uh, do you make the sign of the cross with two fingers or three fingers? This was a big deal for at one time and place. In the uh, in the Lotus Sutra, the Avalokitesvara chapter, it says, uh, "If sentient beings need a rich man to be liberated, Guan Yin immediately becomes a rich man and teaches the Dharma for them. If they need a householder to be liberated, immediately she becomes a householder and teaches the Dharma for them. If they need a young boy or a young girl to be liberated, immediately she becomes a young boy or a young girl and teaches the Dharma for them." If they need a heavenly king, a dragon, a yaksha, a gandharva, an ashura, a garuda, a kimnara, a maharaga, these are all sort of mythical uh, creatures in, in Indian cosmology. Immediately she becomes all of these and teaches the dharma for them. I don't know if any of you, I was thinking, I was reading this and then I thought, um, I don't know if any of you saw recently uh, in the news there was a uh, a video made by uh, of all people Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it was his sort of anti-war um, statement uh, to to Russian, really directed towards Russian soldiers and Russian people. And I I saw this and I was I was actually blown away by it. I I you know I mean I don't know the whole situation on the ground so. You know, this is just based on my perspective. And I was never a really big fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but this was, 
I thought it was really impressive. Uh, he, he talks about, you know, as a kid, one of his heroes was a, a guy named uh, Yuri Vlasov, a uh, Russian weightlifter. And then he also, he also speaks about his father, who was uh, a soldier in the, uh, the Wehrmacht, the, the German army during the siege of Leningrad, which is a terrible uh, thing for, for Russia. And then he, you know, he says, he said, uh, when I see babies being pulled out of the ruins, I feel like I'm watching a documentary about the horrors of the Second World War, not the news of today. When my father arrived in Leningrad, he was all pumped up on the lies of his government. When he left Leningrad, he was broken physically and mentally. He spent the rest of his life in pain from a broken back, pain from the shrapnel that always reminded him of those terrible years, pain from the guilt that he felt for his role in this. You know, he's, he's using his image as a, as a macho action figure uh, and, and, and the guilt and shame that's part of his family karma. He's using that um, to liberate people, to help people become clear. It's, it's wonderful. You know, if, if sentient beings need a retired action movie hero to be liberated, immediately Guan Yin becomes a retired action movie hero and teaches the Dharma to them. So, devotional practice. You know, as I said, I, I was very skeptical and had a hard time with it at first, but I, I feel I'm starting to see it differently. I, I feel like these, these devotional practices are a way of um, opening myself to a view that's, that's much larger to my, my current view, Whatever, wherever I happen to land right now. There's something more. Dogen says, the precipitate assumption that the phenomena before our eyes admit no further passage is not Buddhist study. It's not just opening, you know, considering the fact that there's more, um, but actually trusting in that, taking refuge in that, and living your life out of that trust that there's more than you can see. You know, it requires not just to open your mind, but to open your heart. And I, and I think uh, this is one of the real uses of these devotional practices. You know, it's not, it's not so much a worship of something outside, you know, some special being. It's more like... Uh, Closing a circuit, right? It's, and it goes in both directions. You know, in the liturgy this morning, we chant the, the, the liturgist says, whenever this devoted invocation is sent forth, it is perceived and subtly answered. You know, I think this is what, in a sort of Christian vocabulary, that's, this is what people are talking about when they speak of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Daido used to say, Daido Roshi, who's the, the founder of this order, that the purpose of liturgy is to make the invisible visible. You, you think about just what, what I can see with the physical eye. What I can see is always the limit of my field of vision. 
So I see a wall because I can't see behind the wall, or I see Grant because I can't see behind Grant, or I see the, the hashiki because I can't see behind it, because the light bounces on it and reflects off of it. But the practice of, of zazen, the, uh, the, the devotional practice of zazen, is a way of seeing all the way through. You know, we sit and we see our afflicted mind states, our pain, our grief, our anger, pride, jealousy, blah, 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 blah. And it seems that's all we see. But we also see all the way through it. You know, the entire universe of the ten directions sees the entire universe of the ten directions. I, I feel like that's no inside and no outside. That's the, the seeing with the whole body and mind of Zazen, not just with the eye. Dogen says, seeing intimately with the whole body and mind. And so all of, all of the mind states and outward states that we encounter, rational, irrational, imaginary, real, scientific, mystical, deluded, enlightened, sinful, virtuous, conceivable, inconceivable, Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.